Well, good morning. It is 9.02. You're listening to Public Radio KBBI AM 890. Homer, I'm Jay Barrett. And it's time for the coffee table. Today, we're talking about planting your first garden. Before we start, though, I want to uh, remind you that coffee table is supported by Pier One Theater, Homer's community theater supporting community voices, schedules and information on Pier One Productions at 907-226-2287 and pierone-theater.org. We're talking about uh, planting your first garden. Uh, we got this idea from the um, uh, Homer Soil and Water Conservation District's Agriculture Program, uh, uh, whose coordinator is our, uh, our guest today, uh, Monica Kopp, and uh, she is going to have a series, a two-part series of how to plant your first garden. And the first one is tomorrow. And so I, I jumped right in and I, I thought, well, this is the situation I'm in. I need to, uh, I need to learn how to plant uh, my own garden. I've been in this place for two years. I need some greenery around me, maybe some tomatoes. Let's see about that too. Monica, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. How are things uh, far out the East Road there? Good. I'm actually uh, in Nikolaivisk. Oh, you're in Nikolaivisk. Okay. Yeah. Snow up there this winter? Oh, yeah. We got lots of snow. Lots of ice, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let me ask you, how does this, uh, just uh, as an aside, how does that uh, affect your planning for a garden when we have like big bunches of snow, um, you know, heading into March? Yeah, you know, it, it often ends up being a little bit later that we can plant just because it takes longer for that snow to melt off of garden beds. Um, but there are a lot of people around here that, that use some techniques to get rid of that snow faster, like scattering wood ashes on the snow on top of their beds that can help um, melt it off a little bit faster. But yeah, kind of just a waiting game. <laughs> I'll go out there and stick my finger down in the soil and see how close the frost line is and judge when to plant based on that a little bit. Okay. Does, uh, does having to plant a little bit later affect what you can plant? Your decisions of planting, planting your garden? Yeah. yeah, it does. You know, up here at higher elevations and same thing goes for East End Road. Um, you know, tomatoes really won't grow unless you've got them in a high tunnel or some sort of plastic greenhouse, high tunnel, um, some sort of warming has to occur to be able to plant those warmer season crops. But that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to teaching people about with these workshops is what to plant, um, choosing, setting up yourself for success by choosing things that are well suited to our climate. So something like a tomato, while it's delicious, is pretty difficult to grow. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, I've got uh, the Catchamac Gardener book, which I highly recommend for anybody looking to start a garden. It's put out by the Homer Garden Club. And uh, they have a little breakdown on all of the vegetables that you can plant up here. And the tomato section is like five pages long, where all the others are about a paragraph. <laughs> so um yeah but you know up here uh we just put up a high tunnel last summer and we haven't grown in it yet but planning on growing some tomatoes under that high tunnel this year excited oh, about okay. that cool. well uh i want to give out the phone number get people uh queued up here because people always have questions about gardening uh that is a 907-235-7721 give us a shout I'm talking with Monica Kopp of the uh, Homer Soil and Water Conservation District. And she is uh, putting on a couple of uh, seminars, Zoom seminars. And the first one is tomorrow, Monica. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the program. It's called How to Start Your First Garden, Part One, Where and What to Plant, just what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do this in two sessions that are each an hour long. And uh, that is not very much time to teach someone how to garden, but my goal with this is really to um, introduce the concepts and get people excited and motivated to try it and sort of overcome some of the barriers that 
they might run into when learning about this stuff because there is so much to learn. Um, but you don't have to know it all to start your first garden. So that's my goal is just to get people started. Um, so the first session will be where and what to plant. And then the second session will be more of the how to like actually breaking ground and maintenance watering and what kind of weeding you need to do and what kind of pests you might have to deal with. Oh, okay. Um, my friend uh, Carrie Restino with uh, Homer Hilltop Farms, uh, she posts on Instagram uh, pictures of her planning her, her uh, layout every year. And it, it looks like the biggest game of Tetris I've ever seen trying to <laughs> try all these different things in, you know, with like uh, little seed packets and there's a whole block of planting beds here and there. Uh, of course, she's a professional. Um, and uh, she's, you know, making her living at it. Uh, for, for an innocent bystander like me, who's got like a decent Southern exposure and, uh, uh, you know, uh, but what kind of things have, uh, have you got for us innocent bystanders? Yeah, well, having a South facing uh, spot, a spot with South aspect is, is really great. That's gonna set you up for a lot of success. Um, but you don't have to have a perfect spot. There's other stuff you can grow in less ideal spots. Um, I lived in Fairbanks for a number of years and uh, my landlords had a, a garden on a north facing slope with permafrost <laughs> and they were able to grow cabbages and broccoli and all kinds of greens and were quite successful. But there were definitely certain things they could not grow like squash and peppers and tomatoes. <laughs> mm -hmm. What, uh, what are the most uh, common things, um, you know, I imagine uh, everybody and their cousin wants to grow tomatoes, uh, just so we could have fresh tomatoes, but uh, the things that you recommend, you know, not only locally, but for a first timer locally, you know, something that's, like you said earlier, picking the right uh, crops, mm -hmm. what kind of crops or uh, plants are those? Are we just talking about vegetables or we can we talk about flowers too? Yeah, flowers are unfortunately not so much my forte. I don't know a whole lot. Um, so I should give a disclaimer here. I am also a beginner gardener. <laughs> and that's part of the reason I'm teaching this class because I'm learning right along with everybody. And um, so I want to, you know, just pose this as like, I, I don't know everything, <laughs> but I'm gonna try to help you guys figure it out. Um, but as far as things that grow well here, um, there's there's one specific plant family that a huge percentage of vegetables that we get at the grocery store and that we grow in our gardens come from, and that's the Brassicaceae family or the uh, the mustard family, um, and that includes your broccoli, cabbage, kale, mustard, bok choy, uh, just countless vegetables and all of those are pretty well suited to cool climates and so they're going to do quite well here. Um, so I highly recommend leafy greens as sort of a starter um, being like mustard greens salad baby salad mix um, and kale especially <laughs> and then maybe a step up a little bit more challenging would be your broccoli, ca cabbage, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. Those grow well here, but they need a little bit of a head start with our climate. So you need to start them indoors or buy them from a transplant, from a, a greenhouse and transplant them into your garden um, when the soils warm up a little bit. So that's mm -hmm. the only caveat there is the, the broccoli and cabbage, they grow really well here, but you do have to give them a head start by starting from a transplant. Ah, okay. Okay, cool. Uh, let me give out the phone number once again. It's 907-235-7721. We're talking with Monica Kopp of the Homer Soil and Water Conservation District. She has got a How to Start Your First Garden seminars, a pair of seminars coming up. The first one is tomorrow night. The second one is on March 10th. I've got a question uh, texted in um, from an amateur gardener. Uh, if your soil is of unknown quality, how do you figure out what to add to properly supplement it for good growing? And I, I would add, does that matter what 
depending on what you're growing, what you need to supplement the soil with, or is good soil just good soil? That is a great question. And so part of my position at Homer Soil and Water Conservation District, I am the Ag Program Coordinator, um, but I also run our nutrient management program and we accept soil tests from gardeners all over our area. And so we highly recommend anybody who's starting a garden or really maintaining a garden over years um, to test their soil every season. Um, and you can do that in the spring, right before the growing season or at the end of the growing season in the fall. That's actually a really good time to do it because you have all winter to get the results and to plan and buy your fertilizers. And so what you do is you go out in your garden and take a handful of samples. You want a really good representative sample of the whole area of your garden and mix all those samples together, dry them out and bring them into our office. And we will send them out to a lab that we work with and we'll, bring, we'll send you catered recommendations specific to your garden with what kind of fertilizers you should use. Um, and so it's a great program for, for being able to target exactly what you need to amend your soils with. And um, part of why you need to do that is because our soils in Alaska are pretty low in nutrients. And so no matter what, you know, if you're just starting out and you've never added fertilizers to your garden, you're probably going to have to add something. And so those fertilizers are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Those are the three primary nutrients that plants need to grow and to make nutritious vegetables for us. So yeah, I would highly recommend getting soil tested first thing in the spring when the soils start to thaw out, bring in a test to us and we'll get you a nutrient recommendation catered to you. Okay. Now, if um, someone was doing a container gardening, um, uh, do you recommend they go and buy a certain soil, uh, commercial soil, or is there something they can pick up locally? Uh, you know, um, does that need to be tested as well? Uh, can they just, from their... Yeah, if you're starting with um, containers and you, you want to just purchase soil, if you buy something like, uh, you know, miracle Grow soil or fishy peat from Anchor Point Greenhouse, that stuff is great. It's already got the nutrients that the plants need um, to grow. So you wouldn't need to add any fertilizers if you're buying fresh potting soil like that. Um, but if you are using containers that you've used in past seasons, you may need to add something to help those plants grow. Mm -hmm. Because plants take nutrients out of the soil to make the plant, right? So exactly. it's, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Uh, you know, why don't you, could you maybe give us the, uh, the, in your uh, description here, I'm reading it, the, uh, the down and dirty on site selection and uh, considerations for gardening in a northern climate. Talked a little bit about, you know, uh, sudden exposure is mostly better, but can you talk about, uh, you know, some of the site selection uh, criteria you go over tomorrow night? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So thinking about um, the essential things that plants need, they need sunlight, they need water, they need nutrients, and they need space to grow. And so um, picking a site with as much south aspect as possible is gonna really help get enough sunlight um, for, your, for your plants. But the, the really cool thing is because in the summertime, the sun spins around us, unlike at lower latitudes, um, it's not quite so important to have that full south exposure. You can get away with having a little bit of even northern exposure. If you're, you've got less trees on the northern side, they'll still get a little bit of sun in the evening. So that helps a little bit with your site selection. Um, and then you want really well-drained soil. Um, so if you're at the bottom of a hill or very flat area, heavy rain events can start to pond and that can cause problems in a garden. So you really want well-drained and gently sloping is ideal for that. Um, there are ways you can, you can work with 
a less well-drained area and that's by either creating some kind of drainage around that area or creating terraces or creating raised beds. Um, let's see, and then water is a pretty important one. You wanna have a plan for where your water is gonna come from. Um, it's great if you've got your hose spigot real nearby and you can water that way, you know, close to your house. But if you're looking at gardening a little farther away, you wanna think about how you're gonna get your water to the garden. And that's uh, one challenge that I've dealt with out here. We don't have a well. And so we're constantly figuring out new ways to get water to our garden. <laughs> wow, so uh, cisterns and pipes and... Yeah, we actually, uh, we dug a shallow well at the bottom of our hill that's kind of a in a wet area. And we got a solar pump that pumps water up to a tank that's elevated and then we have a gravity feed system to water all our gardens with drip irrigation. And actually we have a, uh, another workshop coming up. Um, I wanna say it's March 24th. I unfortunately don't have that written down, but it's two Thursdays after the second session <laughs> um, of how to start your first garden that's on drip irrigation. And that's a great one to take if you're setting up a garden and you want easier watering. You don't have to go out there with your watering can and water every day. You know, I've seen that on uh, this old house. It's, it's a pretty, pretty snazzy setup. It is. It's a great time saver and you can put it on a timer and you don't even have to think about it. I, I was just going to say that you put it on a timer and you don't have to think about it. It's exactly mm -hmm. what else, which I've been watching a lot of uh, online, uh, especially the gardening uh, parts. Uh, there are so many decisions uh, that go into um, a lot of gardens that they make. Of course, they're mostly for uh, aesthetic uh, reasons here, um, there. But here, you know, we're talking about um, uh, growing things and what have you. Uh, where are places you don't want to put a garden? Like, you don't want to put it over your septic field, right? You know, I just got that question, actually. I had someone in our office the other day who was wanting to put a high tunnel on his septic field, and I have no idea if that's a good idea or not. <laughs> so if anybody out there knows, <laughs> give me a call. Um, yeah, so, so that one I can't answer. But um, as far as other places that you wouldn't want to put a garden, um, it's a good idea to think about your ice situation in the winter. Seems like uh, every winter we have more and more ice created by these freezing rain events. And um, so if you've got water coming off of a roof and freezing on the ground towards, you know, downhill or something, that would not be a great place to put your garden because that ice will just build up, you know, inches thick and it can create problems. <laughs> um, and then yeah like you want to think about your shade a little bit the north side of your house is probably not a great place for your garden um what else yeah that's those are the two big ones i would say think about drainage and where water goes and then spend some time walking around at different times of the day and pay attention to where the shadows cast and where has more sun and that's a really good way to figure out where you want your garden. Mm -hmm. Are there some plants that um, you know can get too much light around here? Hmm. Um, there are some plants that do a little funky with their flowering period. Um, I'm aware of some winter squash varieties that we can't really grow in Alaska because they actually need uh, 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night to flower and fruit fully. And our summer doesn't allow that. So you could grow, I think it's a, a butternut squash. It's some of the squashes that we buy at the grocery store that we really like, um, but they don't grow super well here. And so yeah, you could grow it all summer long and it would never flower and fruit you would never get your squash. <laughs> um, well, aren't, uh, aren't uh, world champion uh, pumpkins growing up in Nikiski? 
They are. Yeah. Yeah. There are quite a few varieties of pumpkins and winter squashes that do grow well here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've, seen, I've seen some of them in person. They're, they're the size of small cars. <laughs> yeah. Pretty. Yeah, um, that's a hobby I would love to take up in my retirement. <laughs> you, know, you know, they sell the seeds from the world champions. Cool. You, you know, from the one that wins the, the heaviest weight at Palmer. So I bet they, they go for a pretty penny too. <laughs> uh, we got a question from a caller uh, asking about uh, the soil tests. They're wondering if it also tests for heavy metals and uh, that may be in the soil and if uh, uh, what those are like for plants, so harmful for plant growth? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it tests for quite a few uh, metals and other nutrients. And there's a pretty interesting dynamic that happens. Um, for instance, I was just analyzing a soil test the other day that had rel relatively elevated levels of aluminum. Um, and aluminum is actually more plant available, meaning that a plant can take it up into its system easier at more acid soil levels. And so in Alaska, we have very acidic soils, just generally across the board in most areas, I would say. Um, and so we typically have to lime pretty heavily around here to get soils up to a pH that plants can uptake more of the beneficial nutrients. So in the example of the aluminum, at more acid uh, levels, plants can take up more of that aluminum and it can cause problems with toxicity. Basically, they, they just are poisoned by taking up that aluminum. Boron is another example where at certain pHs, it can, plants can take up too much boron and actually suffer and potentially die. Um, but by liming our soils, we, we adjust that window and um, things like boron and aluminum are less plant available. So even if there are high levels in the soils, the plants aren't going to take them up. Chemistry, better living through. <laughs> yeah. So Natural just chemistry. another plug for the soil test and the benefits of that. You know, we can have that conversation and, and the soil test and the nutrient recommendation is not, uh, you know, an start to end product like that. I, I really encourage people to have conversations with us and to talk about these issues and, and get a better understanding of what's going on in their soil. Mm -hmm. How, uh, how in depth does that get, um, you know, uh, what are all the things you can talk about in your conversations about your soil? Yeah, well, um, just the, the basic things that we've typically recommend to every grower are adding your primary plant nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And those are usually in the form of fertilizers like uh, bone meal and blood meal and langbionite is one that uh, offers potassium. And then also, you know, your, your Arctic Grow triple 16 fertilizers, that's a pretty typical one too. Um, and then another thing that we often recommend is adding some boron because we typically have pretty low boron levels and boron is quite beneficial in small doses, um, specifically for beets and some of the coal crops like cabbage and broccoli. Oh. Um, and then another thing we test for is organic material. And so you'll get a readout of what your percentage of organic material is. And the higher organic material you have, the more water holding capacity your soil has, which is really helpful for not having to water as much. Um, and it also boosts microbial activity big time. So the more organic material you have, the more that feeds the microbes, which really are the drivers of that nutrient cycle getting those beneficial nutrients to your plant. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't know so, the micro had that role. I figured, figured the plants were taking care of, care of that for themselves. 
Yeah, yeah. The microbes really help to digest those nutrients into a form that is plant available. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My dad uh, grew up on a farm in Wyoming and uh, came to Alaska. Uh, but he would tell me uh, about farming, which we never did in Alaska. Uh, uh, he said that, uh, you know, I'd ask him about uh, planting crops, you know, planting it in the dirt. And he said, no, no, you never plant in the dirt. You plant in the soil. And mm-hmm. he explained the difference was in the soil, um, well, it's just got all this st- good stuff in it, you know, that's, and that's why it needs to be conserved, right? I mean, that, that's where the soil and water conservation uh, came from, was soil getting uh, blown away from the, uh, the Great Plains in the Dust Bowl. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, uh, soil is super interesting to me. And I, I you know, I look at, at some dirt, you know, out front of my house, I think, well, you know, if I put some soil on there, I might be able to grow something. Um, could you tell us all, I mean, it, it's not just leftover plant material. It's not just a little bit of clay and sand. Can you talk about uh, what's all in soil? Yeah. Um, gosh, where do I even start? <laughs> so soil is comprised of um mineral particles that are typically like rock that has broken down into smaller particles and it's comprised of three different types of particles and those are broken down into sand clay and silt and around here we have pretty high silt content in soil and fairly low clay and sand but it depends on where you are some places are higher sand and a little bit higher clay but most Alaska soils are fairly low in clay so that's one component that um, affects the texture of your soil and then the organic matter um, it it adds like to the microbial activity that's going on um, and feeds all of the bugs and things <laughs> that are in the soil <laughs> so that's kind of a an elementary view of it i guess <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um a question about greenhouses and uh they're curious about um early and late in the season uh protecting the plants from getting uh too too cold uh when you put them in your greenhouse are there uh, rules for um um, you know, when you put them in the greenhouse and techniques to keep them uh, happy in there? You know, uh, as far as like rules go, um, I'm probably not the best person to ask because I don't garden in a greenhouse, at least not yet. <laughs> Someday we hope to have one. Um, but, you know, just from what I do know, greenhouses, um, typically aren't very insulated and so you need a heat source of some sort and the earlier you start your vegetables in a greenhouse the more um, chance you have of of having pretty cold temperatures at night and so that's really going to be your driving factor is can you keep your greenhouse from freezing at night if you're growing things like tomatoes and squash in there you cannot let it get below freezing and so that's going to be your driving factor is how much fuel do you want to spend? How much money do you want to spend on fuel and how well insulated is your greenhouse? So what are those temperatures dropping down to? Um, but once you can, once you're in the clear there and you know your greenhouse isn't going to freeze, then you've got the green light to start growing in there. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. You're listening to The Coffee Table. I'm Jay Barrett. My guest is Monica Kopp, who is with the Homer Soil and Water Conservation District's Agriculture Program. She is the coordinator for it, and she is a Nicolaus area farmer. She has a seminar coming up tomorrow night, a one-hour Zoom uh, seminar, How to Plant Your First Garden Part One, Where and What to Plant. And we're kind of talking about those sort of things to, uh, to uh, get ready for tomorrow night's seminar, which I am looking forward to because this is the situation I'm in. And um, 
We're going to take a quick dance break and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Let me give the phone number before we do. It's 907-235-7721. Give us a call about planting uh, your first garden, planting it and getting it ready for the second half of Coffee Table. So we'll send it back to the studio here for uh, just a few minutes. It is 937. Good morning. I'm Jay Barrett, and this is uh, The Coffee Table, and uh, we are talking with Monica Kopp today, and she is the program coordinator, the agriculture program coordinator for the Homer Soil and Water Conservation District. She's uh, got a series of uh, how to start your first garden seminars starting tomorrow, tomorrow evening at 6. Uh, it'll be all on Zoom, and the second one is coming up on March 10th, and that one will be uh, breaking ground and uh, uh, a bare minimum approach to maintenance. Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. We did have another question uh, uh, called in uh, during our break, and it was uh, it relates to the uh, testing for heavy metals, and they're wondering specifically if there's testing for thallium in the soil. Do you know? No. No, we don't test for thallium. Oh. And I'm not very familiar with that one. Okay. I, I was just going to ask you if you're familiar with thallium. I am not. You know, if I call her, uh, would, would like to come and uh, explain thallium to us, that'd be, that'd be fine. Uh, our number 907-235-7721. No, I did not just forget our phone number. Um, so... We, let me tell you where I, my house situation and what I envisioned for my little garden. And uh, maybe you can maybe walk me through as, an, as a case, case study here. Sure. I have, I have a, a, a deck that wraps around the uh, east and south sides of my little bungalow. Uh, I'm up high, the deck's about eight feet off the ground. And then down there is a south facing slope that's about... 50, 50 feet or so. And on the east, it's uh, a slope down to the east. I don't get much uh, evening sun at all. There's a bunch of trees over here to my uh, west. Um, if I'm just starting out, and I am just starting out, uh, you mentioned there are a lot of things that confuse people. Like when you started spouting the numbers for nitrogen, potassium, and I, I don't remember what the other uranium, whatever the other one is, uh, I, you know, it just, it just confuses me. You know, I'm, I'm a complete amateur here. Um, you know, so my, my plan kind of is to get some planters I can hang off my deck to start and maybe grow something that is uh, successful in this area. Where, where should I start? Like with herbs and spices or what do you think? Yeah. So um, you know, a container garden on a sunny deck like that is a great place to start. Um, you can get, you know, the Alaska fishy peat from the Anchor Point greenhouse and fill your containers up and you've got nice nutritious soil to start with. Um, container gardening is also great because it's above the, the ground and so that soil warms up a lot faster. So you might actually have some success if you planted a cherry tomato in a container on that sunny uh, deck. So I actually might recommend trying that. Um, you would probably want to buy the transplant from a greenhouse nearby um, because that's going to, you know, ensure that it's healthy and vigorous before you plant it out. And then you wouldn't want to plant it outside until... Uh, after the danger of frost. So that date kind of goes between May 15th, right near sea level, and June 1st really is the safest, especially up higher in higher elevations. Um, so other things that you might consider planting are uh, leafy greens. Um, so lettuce, or you can buy like a baby salad green mix. Um, and those are readily available at any garden store. And, you know, I like to think about what do I enjoy eating, first of all. <laughs> and then uh, another bonus is what's hard to get at the grocery store or what's kind of expensive at the grocery store. 
and what's easy to grow here. And things like the baby greens, you know, you can buy a tiny bag of baby greens that are half wilted <laughs> for $6 or something, whereas you can grow them quite easily in a container on your deck and have a, a succession of, of baby greens all summer long, potentially. Um, so, so that's one thing. Oh, and those do mature really fast. And so you might actually want to have a couple containers where you plant one succession, um, let those start growing, and then maybe say two weeks later, plant another one and kind of continue that through the summer and you'll have a continuous supply of those greens. So that's one, one option. There's a couple herbs that would grow well in a container on your deck. Um, chives are one that I really love and they are actually a perennial, which means that they will grow year after year and they won't die at the end of the season. Most of our vegetables that we plant um, are annuals, meaning that they just grow one year and then they die and you have to replant them every year. But something like chives, a perennial, um, are gonna come back year after year. So you don't even have to replant them the following season. Um, yeah, what else? I would say like maybe some cilantro or parsley. You could buy those from starts and and plant those. They're a little bit trickier to start from seed, but but they do all right. <laughs> um, and so then, Mark, oh yeah, go ahead. We have a caller on the line. Can we go to them? Yeah. Hi, Paul. Uh, you're you're on the air. Hey, good morning, you guys. Real. I'm enjoying your show. Um, I just wanted to make one comment on the greenhouse question you discussed earlier that um, we have a greenhouse that is attached to our house, so it gets some work from there, but we don't heat it. And I'm, I encourage people to, anyway, suffice it to say, we can plant in there, of course, much earlier than outdoors, so we will often do our first batch of greens and Thank you. And it is possible to not need to heat your greenhouse, right, Monica? I mean, that's free, free energy from the sun. Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for sharing that. That's wonderful to hear. And that's totally true. If you have a well-designed, um, you know, addition onto your house or there's, there's also designs of uh, solar heated greenhouses um, out there available on the internet stuff. Um, so there are ways to do it without fossil fuels, fuels and that's that's awesome to hear um i'd be curious how early they're able to start uh in the in the winter if they're able to grow stuff right now i didn't quite hear if he was growing things right now or not i didn't catch that uh another call uh caller texted in a or sent in a message uh, another question about soil and how prevalent arsenic is in our soil you know? I do know that arsenic is uh, fairly prevalent, especially like in green, in, um, in groundwater. Uh, I remember up in, in Fairbanks, a lot of people had arsenic in their wells and I'm a little newer down here, so I'm not so familiar with it, but it seems like some people do have that. Um, but I am not aware of arsenic causing any problems with gardening. So yeah. Um, is there any uh, issues with uh, uptake of arsenic, uh, eating vegetables grown in, in uh, arsenic-y soil? Not that I'm aware of, but don't take my word for that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm not aware of it ever having been a problem around here. Yeah. Uh, 
let's see. Uh, you know, I should give out uh, my email. It's uh, simply jay at kbbi.org. If you have a question, I've got my email open here. And so uh, feel free to email me in a question. Uh, also, 235-907-235-7721 um, is our phone number. Uh, someone's curious about uh, wanting to grow uh, food to address food insecurity in general. Uh, and they're curious, uh, what does the community need to grow, um, you know, to increase our uh, food security? Mm, that's a great question. And yeah, we need as many people growing gardens for their own consumption and for the consumption of others, you know, farmers, basically, to grow more food. Um, it, I think that there is never going to be a problem of surplus veggies up here. <laughs> the more people that we can get growing vegetables, the better. And uh, at Homer Sloan Water Conservation District, that's what we're all about. All of us are very passionate about getting more people growing. And that's why we're here as a resource for um, landowners and land managers to, we really want everybody growing food. So if you are confused by gardening and don't know where to start that's why we're putting on this series and we also encourage you to always reach out to us anytime with questions um our website is homerswcd.org and you can find our email emails on there me and nicola revelo she's our outreach coordinator and kyra wagner is our district manager all three of us are pretty in the agricultural scene and we would love any questions that people have. So. Mm -hmm. Here's a question emailed in. Um, it, we talked a little bit about soil and things you can do to it. Uh, is, um, um, let's see, what is the question here? Can they use Alaska earth soil? I, I think that might be a brand name uh, made at Anchor Point Greenhouse. Is that or, you know, is that, uh, is that the kind of soil you start seeds in? Yeah, and I'm sorry to say I'm a little bit confused because I'm aware of the Alaska earth and then also the Alaska fishy peat. Both of mm. those I believe are produced by the Anchor Point Greenhouse and I can't remember the difference between the two. Um, yeah, Maybe. That, but, okay. But if you went to the garden store, to buy those, you know, you could ask there and and find out which one would be better suited for like what you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. So another question, um, kind of about peat. Uh, a, a lot of attention now on preserving peatlands. There's a project yeah. going on uh, now, uh, and a lot of people use peat in gardens for for mulch. I think. Uh, 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 how is that uh, might uh, affect things? You know, the is there enough peat to go around? I guess. Yeah, that's a tough question. Peat is is a really common amendment that people add to garden soil and to their gardens, and um, so it's tough. You know, people are always going to be wanting it, and uh, people are going to be extracting it. And um, it would be probably ideal if we could try to preserve that more and, and move to other ingredients, but it's always sort of a, one of the limiting factors with trying to improve soil is adding organic matter and peat tends to be the go-to that everybody thinks of when adding organic matter. So it's, it's definitely something to be aware of and to be conscious of. And and I encourage creative thinking um, as far as what you can add to your garden for org organic material. One of the things that we encourage people to add is alder dust. Um, I know a lot of people around Homer have alder patches on their property. And I personally take a rake out to my alder patches and rake up the leaves underneath those alders in the fall. And when you look at those closely, there's little worm larvae and all kinds of critters in there. And when you put that on your garden, you're just encouraging that biome and all those healthy microbes to thrive. And so that's, 
that's one alternative. Um, you know, compost, household food waste turned into compost is a great one to add. Um, I know there are a number of efforts on the peninsula to boost up composting on a larger scale. So hopefully um, over the next couple of years, we'll have more commercially available compost. So that'll be a great alternative. Um, and then other, other mulches, you know, uh, moldy hay or straw, stuff like that can be really good to add in the fall and let it break down over the winter. And then you can till it into your, to your gardens in the spring. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, what about seaweed? Uh, when I was down in Kodiak, uh, people were out at low tide picking seaweed all the time for their gardens. Is that uh, done around here much? And can that be a, a substitute for, for peat? Yeah, yeah. A number of gardeners will go out to the beach and collect that dead kelp um, from the that's collected on the beach uh, at low tide. And that is um, a great option. It's very high in nutrients, but you wanna be a little bit careful. Um, there are some regulations regarding collecting kelp and it's a little bit fuzzy um, as to what you can collect and what you can't. Uh, technically you can collect it if it's dead and on the beach but not if it's living. But the question that I've run into a number of times is, well, is all of that kelp actually dead that's on the beach? Because the next high tide is gonna pick it up and carry it back out to the ocean. So <laughs> that is a question, but for a small scale, I don't think there's any problem in you know collecting a wheelbarrow or two of that seaweed and adding it to your gardens and your mm -hmm. compost pile too. And uh, when growing a vegetable garden around here, uh, what are the uh, uh, pests that we have to worry about and how, how do we handle those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say the two top pests that we deal with, at least around Homer, are slugs and root maggots. So slugs are pretty tough. Uh, they're, <laughs> they are pretty prevalent everywhere and can do quite a lot of damage. Um, they can devour an entire cabbage <laughs> if you let them. <laughs> and so, so that's one you really have to kind of keep on top of, but there are some products out there. Um, there's Sluggo, which is an organic product that you scatter around your plants and that deters them. Um, manual, like, going out and picking the slugs off of your plants is one option and it, it really does help to do that. And then there's also traps that you can put out. And I think that's a great option. I'm gonna try that this summer, I believe. Um, you can put like a, a beer can with a little bit of beer in it and bury it in the ground just a little bit and the slugs will go in there and not eat your crops so much. And then you can feed them to your ducks or chicken, which is always fun. <laughs> Oh, really? My ducks and slugs? Well, I guess they would. I, I kind of had to train my chickens to like slugs. I've heard from other people that their chickens don't like slugs, but maybe give it a shot and you might get them to like it. <laughs> you know, marinated in beer, they taste a little better. <laughs> exactly. So the other one is the, the root maggots, and, and that's a trickier one. They, uh, the full name of them is the cabbage, cabbage root moth, I believe. Um, and they are attracted to anything in the Brassicaceae family. So that's your broccoli and your cabbage and also your turnips and your radishes and rutabagas. And they can do a ton of damage, um, but they have a pretty uh, predictable life cycle. So the, they emerge from the soil in the spring when temperatures start to warm up a little bit. And then the adults fly around and look for a host plant in the Brassicaceae family and lay their eggs at the base of that plant. And then those eggs develop into larvae, which then eat the roots of the plant and can kill it. Um, and also just create damage to where you can't really eat it. Um, so, how you counteract that 
or try to fight that is you actually really have to cover those plants with something to keep the adults from getting to that plant in the first place and laying in their eggs. So the way you do that is by using row cover. Um, and you can buy this at the garden supply store. It's a it's kind of a sheer fabric that allows light and water to come through, but insects can't go through it. And so you put up some little hoops and drape that fabric over your plants and anchor it down with some staples or some rocks. And you keep that up pretty much from the time you plant, um, you know, beginning to mid-May all the way through mid-July. And then after mid-July, the adults have finished their life cycle. They're no longer looking for places to lay eggs and you're finally in the clear and you don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> so it's kind of some, some steep measures that you have to take, but it's worth it in the end because root maggots can really start to take over and do a lot of damage. Oh man, I bet. Well, Monica, tell us uh, one last time about your seminars coming up. Uh, the first one starts tomorrow and then you're gonna have the second one uh, next month. We, we just got one minute left here. Uh, tell us quickly about your, your program. Yeah, so the Know Your Land talks, um, and we are putting them on all through the rest of the spring, and they are all about uh, land management and conservation. Um, so the next one we have after the garden series is going to be on March 24th. Yes, March 24th at 6 p.m. on drip irrigation. And then we're going to take a little break um, and we have yet to schedule them, but we're going to have two more in uh, May and possibly June on propagating berry bushes and on uh, sort of it, it'll be like a tool demo. It'll be an, these are gonna be in person and, uh, and a tool demo where you can actually play around with different garden tools and say the row cover and learn how to use that stuff because some of it can be pretty tricky. So that'll be really fun to have an in-person gathering and, and yeah. get to play with some stuff hands-on. Monica Kopp, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You've answered so many of my questions about gardening, uh, but I'm probably going to have a million more. Excellent. Thank yeah. you. I want to uh, remind folks the support for the coffee table comes from Pier One Theater, Homer's Community Theater, supporting community voices, schedules and information on Pier One Productions at 226-2287 and pieronetheater.org.